England are through, Lionel Messi to the rescue for Argentina, and what a goal from Germany's Nicholas Fulkrug. I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast, and I'm joined today by Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hello, hello. And welcome back to the podcast, Helga Voltman. Hi, how you doing? Hello, Helga. It's been a while. It has been. Yeah. You don't even like me anymore? <laughs> oh, I still love you, mate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the users just don't like me. It's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Back back in the day when we used to record the podcast in a uh, a more physical space, uh, your your then girlfriend, now wife Anna, was a uh, was a big fan of the podcast. She used to send us chocolate and all sorts to uh, to, to try on air. Uh, she might be making an appearance on the podcast today uh, in the background at some point. Might be, yeah, it's very very true. She's out right now, and her home office is right behind me. Basically, she has to pass behind me, so like there might be an appearance. Yeah. And the cat might be making an appearance as well, that so it's also, going to be yeah. a very action-packed <laughs> show today. Yeah, yeah. It's lunchtime soon, so yeah. <laughs> Family time. All yeah. very likely. Yeah, this is going to be interactive. <laughs> Right, let's talk some World Cup stuff, shall we? Then um, the first thing I wanted to ask you both before we before we get into the, the the games and the teams is which player have you have you most enjoyed watching or been most impressed by at the World Cup so far? Danny, I'll let you go first on that one. Um, I mean, result wise, I would definitely say Gakpo has been impressive. Like you know, hasn't really been like you know sort of like a dominant player on the pitch, but he's scored three times already. No one was really expecting him to sort of like lead the Netherlands in the attack. Um, but if more like open play and uh, actually, you know, driving things, I'd say Musiala has been really impressive for Germany as well. He hasn't had probably the space um, or maybe even the the right mix of, of uh, teammates to get the best out of him. But he's been, I think, one of the most solid performers so far for Germany. Yeah. For you, Helga? Yeah. Could, have, could have scored the, the goal of the tournament. Like if he would have, like after this dribbling, yeah. Uh, like in the, I think against oh, yeah. Japan, I was like, like if he would have scored there, like it would have been like goal of the tournament. I would also go with Gakpo for like impressiveness, kind of um, like enjoying mostly because like just because it's from my team, like Niklas Füllkrug, like has been a blast, like especially against Spain, like like just from a pure uh, fan enjoyment view, I would say him. But uh, yeah, like like uh, Gakpo, like with the three goals, first player I think to score in his first uh, three World Cup games. Uh, for the Netherlands so yeah like really impressive yeah yeah both good answers I was going to say Gakpo for mine as well actually um, Jude Bellingham I would throw in there as well <laughs> yeah Bellingham's been really good uh, Mohamed Kudos for Ghana has been fantastic in uh, the last game as well so yeah been a good good tournament for players so far uh, let's uh, let's start uh, talking about some games then we'll we'll start with uh, with England uh, they uh they beat Wales 3-0 on Tuesday evening, sealing their place in the last 16 by winning the group. Uh, they're going to play Senegal next. Um, what do you think of them, Danny? Are they are they a team to be feared in the uh, in the in the last 16 in the knockout stages, or uh, are they going to come unstuck at some point soon? Uh, I think there's enough talent that team to you know reckon that England won't be that easy to beat just like that. You know, uh, there's a lot of skepticism at the beginning of the World Cup whether or not Southgate was the right coach or whether keeping Southgate on for this World Cup was the right call but mm. i mean seven points out of nine is hardly a bad thing the draw it was a nil nil against the u.s and arguably one of the slowest games in the world cup but besides that it was a really convincing 6-2 against an iran that wasn't that bad as we saw yesterday as well um and a three nil but that you know arguably wales once they conceded the first goal they kind of like let the guard down a little bit didn't they but um i don't know it was kind of good to see phil foden you know get to you know score his goal rashford's been also really good uh, so along with them, Bellingham, you had Harry Kane to the mix. Maguire that yesterday was a bit 
off, but for the first two games was surprisingly on. Um, I don't know. England does have arguments to say that you know, to, to, you know you can reckon that they're not maybe not the, the the hardest team to beat in the World Cup, but they're far from the softest to to mm. you know meet in a in any potential crossings. Yeah, in the end, like, it's, in the end, it's always going to decide, like be decided on on like very tight games in the latter stages. You know, like they they showed that they can like, with their quality, they can they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat. You know, maybe, maybe except for the US game, but in general, like as, as Danny has said, like the, the seven points out of that group are, are very decent, uh, and also like uh, against Senegal, like, like they should be having a, a like a pretty good performance there. I think like they are the clear favorite in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but like afterwards, like in, when it comes to like the the quarterfinals, semifinals, if like they get that far, it's always going to be a bit of a of a tight game, coin toss situations, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean that's it with England. The problem is that we over the over the past few years with Southgate, they've had some relatively easy ties, uh, you might say, um, and when they have come up against a genuine top tier international side, you know, like Italy at the last Euros, uh, even Croatia at the last World Cup, they come unstuck and the true test will be whether they can get past one of those. Do you think Helga, if England were to come up against against France in the quarterfinal, I'm not getting too far ahead of myself here, I hope, but <laughs> if that, that is the sort of pathway that it looks like, do you think that, you, could you see them beating France? Um as an more of an outsider uh, perspective, you know, in the sense, like in the day, they they, w- they wouldn't be the the favorite against France, I think, but um, like an underdog situation, maybe more like where they could, mm-hmm. um, with their strikers, with their like speed up front as well, they could definitely be a threat for them. So this is like would be one of those games where I say like, okay, this is going to be decided uh, decided by like like tough. Uh, like 50-50 situations where like maybe some luck is involved, maybe some referee decisions, something like that. So like uh, they definitely could win against France, I think, but it's yeah, like maybe a 60-40 uh, situation yeah. overall. Yeah, well, it's knockout football at the end of the day. Strange things can happen as we've seen at previous tournaments. You know, penalty shootouts could occur and things like that. I think another, another slight concern for England is that... Uh, Gareth Southgate doesn't seem to know what his best team is at the moment, really. You know, there's been a lot of clamour for Phil Foden to start. He didn't play against the US. He played against Wales and, and scored. Marcus Rashford getting two goals against uh, against Wales as well is now uh, prompted a lot of people to say that he should be starting the next game. So um, it's quite a big, big selection dilemma for, for Southgate in certain areas. But uh, yeah, we live in hope. Uh, what about the US, Danny? They finished second in that group uh, after a, a 1-0 win over Iran. Uh, I saw Joe Biden was uh, was very happy about that. Uh, <laughs> big football fan, Joe Biden. Clearly, he clearly knows everything about the game there is to know. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, were, were, you, um, were you sort of surprised by, by their performance? Did you always expect them to get out of the group or um, have, they, have they impressed you? I mean, from the out of the four, maybe England was meant to be to, to top the group, like they ended up doing. Uh, but I did think the U.S. did have a, a team strong enough to, you know, stand against Iran, stand against um, the name just left me. What's the other team in the group? Wales. Sorry. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I always thought they had like a, a good enough approach to the game. Uh, I really do like the fact that they do press high, that they're like fun to watch as well. They're an entertain, entertaining side. They're a really young side as well, um, and I think that's sort of like the sort of like the moral of the story here for the U.S. They qualified. Maybe quarterfinals would be too much of a stretch. It would also be their the second time they make to the quarterfinals. So it'd be their no third time. Sorry, the first time was the, the nineteen thirty. I think. Well, never mind. But the point being that uh, it would be a historical <laughs> result for them to achieve to make it to the final eight um, with a team that is very very young. I mean, Polisic is one of sort of like the 
elder ones or one of sort of like the senior players and he's hard from you know hard, far away from being uh you know close to hanging his boots is he um so i think the the main story here is that they have a really good base for the 2026 world cup uh, a team that is going to be very well drilled that already you've been through a sort of say like a testifier with this world cup uh and they've proven to be able to win crunching games to you know face stiff opposition in england maybe uh and also to hold their ground against teams like Iran when it really mattered the most. They had to win this game uh, to make it through. Say they did hold to that 1-0, uh, creating a lot of chances. I don't know. They're fun to watch, and it does seem like they're they're building something special there, even though they don't have Bruce Arena or Klinsman or any of those guys behind them anymore, which was you know, <laughs> a, breath, a breath of fresh air, let's call it that. Yeah. Did you see that um, press conference the other day where an Iranian journalist asked Ty- told, said to Tyler Adams that you're pronouncing the name of our country wrong? It's, he said it's Iran, not Iran. And Tyler Adams was like, oh, I'm very sorry about that. And oh. I noticed in that clip of Joe Biden, he said Iran. So oh, there uh, you go. I wonder if, if the message... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I stand correct. I'll say Iran from now on. Yeah. Well, there you go, yeah. I, I'm currently watching Veep and that clip of Biden was so Veep. Like, it's, <laughs> just imagine Selena I'm Maya just, doing that. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to uh, a person from Iran saying like, you know, like Deutschland... Straight, straight up yeah, to the yeah. camera. This, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have some uh, some predictions for those those two uh, round of sixteen ties that are, that are now set in stone. So we've got England, Senegal. Who who do you reckon is going through there? Uh, I already said it. Uh, like uh, I'm I'm going for England, but I mean, yeah, it's gonna be like Senegal has has impressed me, but um, like gonna be uh, like un- uncom- uh, uncomfortable to play kind of like for England because. Um, of their like quality in like organization, but also in like attacking and everything. But obviously, Mane is missing. Could have been like the extra extra spice in that game. Um, but yeah, like a, I would go with a pretty tight England win. Like the individual class outweighing mm. uh, Senegal. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I think. It's my Lassar no look penalty was pretty ice cold for Senegal. <laughs> yeah, by the way. <laughs> Ice, ice. But yeah, no, I think England do have to be the favorite one, favorite ones here, even though Senegal will probably test them with, you know, a lot of counterattack movements, a lot of uh, getting the ball back and just quick sprints up front. Uh, they are mighty fast. Uh, I think that could be an argument. Also, I want to see what Koulibaly can do against uh, Harry Kane. I think that's a really good matchup there that mm. could be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, England should have the arguments and the players necessary to just go through, I think. Maybe 1-0, 2-1. Yeah. That sort of game is kind of maybe a bit scrappy. Uh Based on counterattacks, one team dominating possession. Uh, but yeah, I think at the end, that ought to be enough for England to make it to the final eight. Yeah, they should have just about enough to do it, I think. And, uh, and the other one, this is the US Netherlands. Uh, could you see the US springing a surprise there, Helga? I think it's going to be a tough one for the Netherlands because like, they also, uh, like, they haven't been like, uh, over, overflowing with creativity in the, in the first three games. Like, that's, like they've always managed to, in the end, like find find the net and like you know to to get like the the points. But like it wasn't like they were having like the fireworks of of, of attacks going on there. Um, so I, I think going to be a tough one, probably even even closer than the than the England Senegal uh, game. Uh, in the end, like yeah, like the Netherlands should make it through, but I think this is going to be like really uh, a close one. But because like yeah, the US is going to be. Uh, not not fun to play against, but yeah, like a close, <laughs> like a, a tight victory for the Netherlands, probably. Yeah. What do you think, Danny? Is Joe Biden going to be happy after that game? 
<laughs> no, I think the king of the Orangia is going to actually be celebrating that one instead. <laughs> queen, sorry, have a queen. Um, yeah, no, I mean the U.S. Like I said, I do think they have a lot of talent, but it's sort of still a team in building. Like it's not necessarily a finished project. Mm. The Dutch aren't either necessarily, but um, I don't know. I think that they have enough talent in their attack and a you know stern enough de- defense to like really deter the U.S. from actually like trying to go for the game. Full on out. Also, three games playing really high pressing football kind of have their tolls on 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 the team of the US. I think. I think there are a couple of players that are not iffy for the next match, but definitely you could see they were like running on fumes by the end of last match. Um, and I don't think the the motivation of having Wei and Polisic is enough for the US to just go over a it's, you know it, a Louis van Gaal Netherlands. It's also like <laughs> if you saw like against Wales, for example, they had like this like pretty good first half then in the second half they they were struggling a lot like the consistency is maybe not there yet to mm. to go through like on on all these games like um mm. to, to have like yeah like this run in a world cup where they go super far yeah who knows though another chat with the president before the game could uh could really be the difference <laughs> for them <laughs> wham force one yeah Let's take it back to uh, Sunday now. A very uh, interesting and entertaining game between Germany and Spain on Sunday evening, which finished 1-1. I must admit, Helga, I was a little kind of surprised by the the post-match kind of interviews and uh, the sort of high spirits in the Germany camp after this game. Obviously, it does keep them them alive, keeps them with a chance of qualifying, but I don't know, it felt like a little bit of a uh, strange reaction to a game that could have gone badly for them. Yeah, and on the on the other mm-hmm. hand, like it's like the the last game against Spain did go really badly, like six uh, mm. zero loss. So like before this, like it was a very uh, very good chance that uh, the Germany team would have had to go home after two match days already. Maybe like then Costa Rica kind of already made it uh, a good day, like by by beating Japan mm. early in the, in the day. So uh, the Germany team knew that with a tie, they would have pretty decent chances, like maybe not great ones, but a, a tie would also, like, you know, they, they only, only, and, uh, you know, Pendis, uh, would have to yeah. be, um, air quotes there, uh, beat Costa Rica by two goals and hope that Spain doesn't lose, which is, it's an okay situation to have on the last match day, especially after losing uh, the first game. Um, so I think they were just really happy about that. And also you could see, I think like by the way they played that they were really hoping to just not concede early or like, you know, to just like from the beginning, they kind of played for a tie with the hopes of maybe like with a set piece or, uh, like a counter attack to maybe even clinch the three points, but like they never had like the high risk until they conceded the goal. They never had really the high risk of like, let's, let's try to really win this game. By all by all means, mm. yeah. Do you think it was a it was a good good performance from from Germany on the night, Danny? Was it, uh, or did they just kind of scrape scrape the result for you? I think they went from less to more. I think the team got better as the game progressed. I think the goal against did kind of you know rally them around, like you know the oh shit factor. Let's call it that. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, I don't know. That team was was in the end. I found it really impressive. Like there were literally a good play from Sanea way of winning the thing. So uh, I don't know. Germany. I can understand why the press was kind of relieved with the game after the match because it did feel like the team had finally clicked together. It does kind of seem that you know Flick finally has like an eleven that he can like a, a better understanding of what the eleven of Germany ought to look like. Uh, and well, yeah, Leroy Sané is going to be back for the next match. 
uh, fully available, apparently. So it might start even the game. And I think that's going to give Germany a bit more edge. Also, against Costa Rica, it's uh, meant to be a bit more accessible than Spain, I think. But I do think there are a lot of lessons learned there, even that with Tilo Kera, who was sort of like, you know, well, not only benched for the first match, but also like a lot of doubts, even when he started the second one, on whether or not he was the right guy to start there. Um, even he was a lot better than I expected. I think Germany mm-hmm. as a block kind of stepped up their game. Um, and I know, I hope that this is sort of like the one bad game that they have looking forward to a tournament where if all goes well, they should at least make it to the final eight, which is kind of like the lowest expectation in the German press, from what I understand. Like they have to make it final eight and then if they lose, it's fine. Uh, it's still a team <laughs> in the making, but um, yeah, I think they have arguments to make it that far. I, see I, that I, I don't know. I, I don't know if like if Germany. I mean, final eight maybe. Yeah, but like if they like if they yeah beyond that is insane. Yeah. No, no, no. I meant more like the, the expectations of the press. Like if like if it's like the quarterfinals, like oh, they might be okay. Uh, but like if it, like if they drop out in the best of sixteen, there's gonna be a huge you know crisis alarm. Like oh no, like the last yeah. two tournaments, they like three in that case didn't get uh, further than that stage. Like so yeah, I don't I don't know. Like the the expectations are always kind of like has to be like semifinal, like final. Or like a very tight game to to get kicked out in the quarterfinals, like something like that, like maybe you know against the caliber of like Brazil or or, or France or Spain. Like otherwise, like it wouldn't be forgiven. Like if it's against, I don't know, uh, uh, I don't know who, who who could be there. Like a Belgium side, it's not going to be there. But <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. guess it has a lot to do with that, like the caliber of the team that knocks you out, that you see the the tie and and just see like, oh, okay, now I get why Germany didn't go beyond the, the final eight kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but you you must have been particularly uh, thrilled with that goal from Nicholas Fulkrug Helger as a uh, as a Werder Bremen fan, the uh, the toothless bandit coming on and saving the day. I mean, what 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 a finish that was! Like he. Yeah, smacked the hell out of it, didn't he? <laughs> he did, uh, and I particularly loved that uh, he he kind of like took the ball away from Musiala, who had a similar mm. chance and like position and, and shot as as he did in the end, and uh, missed it just by like you know um, hitting the the arm of the goalkeeper. And it it kind of looked like him just going like, "Kid, okay, like like <laughs> sit down, watch like this is like I'll take it." And this is how yeah. you take that shot a little bit, you know, because like, it was more or less the same position. I loved it. Uh, I told you like before we recorded this, like like just not not just the goal, but like overall, uh, I think he uh, gives the German team something that's that's very needed, like in the sense that he, he came on and he immediately like like put it like ran his shoulder into like one of the defenders, you know, like just sort of like yeah, no, this is this is going to be a change now, like because Müller is more of a technical player, like he's not like this massive uh, physical presence. Uh, like Fukug went into like a header and uh, with that like hit uh, Jordi Alba in the back a little bit I think it was fair like hard but fair uh, because he really just went for the ball but also like kind of went like if I hit you too like that's fine Mm. and like it really showed the Spain team like okay from now on if you want to defend this this uh, lead this is going to hurt this is going to be a a tough tough game like uh, also like physically tough for you now and um, it's something that the German team doesn't really have that much. Like you have uh, like the technical the technical players with like Gnabry, Zane, Musiala, but they're or like Gundogan as well. Like they're not like massive physical presence. Like you know, just mm-hmm. like Müller as well. So like that was something that was that was great. 
Also, like, I get why he didn't start because Germany wanted to or knew they wouldn't have the ball that much, um, and they would probably like be on the counter attack a lot. So, like, it made sense to like try and go with like the quick players. Gnabry really didn't do much in that game. So, like, um, like Zane was also like a massive uh, improvement on on Germany's game when he came in. So, like, him and Fulkuk together. So that's something uh, maybe also like for Costa Rica because there's going to be different. Costa Rica is going to be sit, uh, sitting back more. Um, whereas, uh, Germany is going to have a, a tough time, like, like finding ways through the middle, like with a, with a passing game. So like maybe Fulkuk should start against, like, in my opinion, like, so we have like the option mm. on like, on crosses and, uh, on like set pieces as well that he could score. Yeah. Like, but yeah, like, as I said, I, I understood like maybe him benching him or like bringing him on late against Spain, but yeah, like Costa Rica might be a different, different game there. Yeah, the secret weapon is no longer so secret now, is it? As well? so we might as well, might as I well love start him. Yeah, I loved. I saw this thing on Twitter where this guy just put screenshots of when he looked for uh, um, who the f is Fulkrug or is a Fulkrug or something like. And there were so many people who were like, "What? Like, who is this guy? Like, where is he coming from? Like, why is he twenty nine? Yeah. And like, I've never heard of him." But <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. I love stories like that one. You know, those sort of late bloomer players. I think it's uh, it's always wonderful. It gives, gives hope to us all. Well, like the weird thing is like he's, <laughs> he isn't even like that much of a late bloomer. He's just like injury prone as hell. Like he's oh, been yeah. like he's like he had like when like when was it like five years ago, I think. Like he had a season with Hanover in the first league, scoring 14 goals. That's when he was like 24 years old. So like that could have been like when he actually made it like uh, mm. really into into like, he was there was talk about the national team back then as well, but then he got injured. And it's now, I think, the first time in his career, almost, that he can play, uh, that he could play like one and a half years, being completely fit and getting into the rhythm. And then you just see that he's a he's a very good striker, like that is, you know, like like a fifteen goal striker maybe in the Bundesliga mm-hmm. if he's like fit for the for the whole time. Yeah. Good luck to him. Good luck to him. Uh, what about Spain, Danny? Because uh, you know Alvaro Morata scored a, a nice goal in this game. Um, he gets a lot of criticism, I think, really for I don't know what reason really, but do you think some of some of it is quite unfair? Um, I mean, when it comes to the national team, especially uh cup tournaments like, you know, World Cup, the Euro also, he does step up his game, I find. He does have, I think, that sort of like resilience to him that he does show up when needed the most. I think his main issue has always been more of like a consistent a consistency thing at club level more than anything. Uh, but with Spain, hell, I mean, remember the Euros, he came in sort of like as this, I'm not going to say joke, but they were they were really taking the piss of him, uh, him being called up for the national team for yeah, the yeah, Euros. I you remember. Know? Um, and uh, the, I remember this fan that had this sign that said, don't worry, Alvaro, I don't score either. Uh, <laughs> and the stance, so that sort of like mentality of, you know, it's he's they didn't think it was good, but it was still, you know, he's one of us kind of a, a kind of attitude towards him. Now he's kind of coming to his chops. I think he's having, he had a really good, you know, performance against Germany, that goal was quite nice, really nice touch. Um, and I don't know, I think the criticism does does make sense once you consider the context of his performance at clubs, the fact that he is injured, not that very uh, often, but injured enough. Um, but yeah, I think at this point, he's kind of like proving that he's this reliable nine that, that Spain have. And most importantly, he's proving Luis Enrique right for bringing him instead of Yaguaspas, for instance, to the national team, which was like a huge debate on who mm. ought to be starting the Spain games up front. Um, so yeah, fair fucks for Alvaro. Yeah, yeah, indeed. 
<laughs> yeah, another player who who's impressed me for Spain at this World Cup so far, Helga, is uh, Danny Almo. Uh, he uh, obviously plays in the Bundesliga for RB Leipzig. Uh, I feel like he's a bit of an underrated player, actually. He, uh, you know, when people talk about Spain's leading lights, often people don't mention him, but I think he's very good, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Like it maybe speaks to an overall uh, ignorance of the Bundesliga of the players yeah, who maybe. are playing there, like <laughs> because like people just really like are, like surprised sometimes when there's like talents coming out of there. You know, where it's like, oh. Where did he come from? Like, why is he so good suddenly? You know, like, um, but uh, overall, like, he's been um, bit like on and off for for Leipzig. Like, when he's fit, when he's uh, in, a, in a rhythm, then he's really good for them. Like, sometimes he's like, yeah, out for a while, so it's like hampering. And also, like, uh, they have such a fluid attack that they also like uh, play players in different positions sometimes, but also like resting them and like trying like a like okay, let's bring Paulson on because he's like a bigger uh, guy like for for like, to be like a um, presence up front or like with uh, Emil Forsberg. So like they have a lot of quality in their attack and they're so fluid with it that they kind of like uh, rest some players every once in a while. Also, they they haven't been like tearing it down in Europe, so maybe that's why he's been under the radar a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, like overall, he's uh, technically great. He mm. uh, could maybe like work a bit more on his on his finishing, but has improved already a bit. But like could work on that a bit more. But like on his passing, on his uh, creating chances, like he's he's really a great player. Like it's yeah, it's fun to fun to see him playing. Yeah, I can't help but think when I watch Gavi as well that uh, him playing with his shoelaces untied is going to end in tears one day. He's going to get himself hurt doing that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the reason? Do we know what the reason for that is? Why he plays with his shoelaces untied? I think there is like an actual reason, some superstitious I, reason or something. Yeah, or? something about that. Yeah, like he just he debuted, won his first final as a as a youngster with without his tying his shoelaces uh, or something like that. But I'm not 100 percent clear. There is some sort of like you know Kabbalah, you know. Behind Maybe he just doesn't know how. Ooh. Yeah, he's young enough to not know. Who knows? <laughs> Has anyone ever tried to like, like kind of like tie them together to stop them? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, ah, you're not running anymore. Like, <laughs> at least the team must have tried that at one point of the wrestling. It's like, oh yeah, 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 sure, sure, you're going out, mate. There you go. Like, I'm, uh, I'm like hundred. I'm like ninety nine percent sure that like Atletico Madrid would have tried such a thing, like to stop yeah. him. Like that's like one of those like Atletico Madrid things. Like, it's like yeah, yeah, let's yeah, try yeah. this. Simeone ball, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move uh, on to Brazil now. Uh, they uh, they ease through the group with uh, with a match to spare. Um, I don't feel like they've really sort of hit their stride properly yet, though, Danny. I feel like there's there's more to come from Brazil. Would you agree with that? I do think so. Yeah. Um, interesting to see what happens with with Neymar's injuries developing and all that because I think mm. he's going to be kind of important in the whole equation of how well Brazil Brazil performs. Um, but to be fair, they did face a really really tough Serbian defense, which you know they played a great game. I found. Uh, against Brazil for the, about the better part of the of an hour, then things kind of like started, you know, uh, you know, fatigue started becoming a factor in Brazil. Found a bit more space. They also had a decent, good game. I find the, the second match around. Uh, I just think that they're still kind of getting into the rhythm of things. Uh, it's not sort of that, you know, dominant performance you were expecting uh, right from the start from Brazil. But they really are showing that they have a cohesive unit of players that mm-hmm. do know what to do once they have the ball. They have like a like a very solid plan and. You can tell they're all motivated. Everyone's like really on their shit in this tournament. And um, I don't know. I, I, I'm really interested to see how good this Brazil can be because potential is just enormous, I find. 
And that Richarlison mm-hmm. goal, that second goal, just kind of confirms that they have the individual talent as well beyond Neymar to, you know, really provide not only the results, but also like those wow moments you expect from mm-hmm. a Brazilian national side. Like, I think it's yeah. really a question of they're just being patient or if it was a lack of uh, like ideas or like a lack of speed in, in the first halves that, they, that they've played so far. Because if you, if you want to see it positively, it would really be just, okay, they knew they have the individual quality to break down these teams and they, they didn't rush into it. They, they knew they could score and then they were just really patient in their games. And, you know, like just like breaking the, the opponents down or is it just that they needed this time to get into the game to like actually find find their rhythm? Because like, if, like to me, like the second halves were way better, like they, they showed way more creativity, way more like sparks uh, in these games, like in the second halves. That's kind of like a bit of the question. Like I, I think uh, with Neymar, like they would definitely be be a bit more creative, but it's also like with him, it was the same thing in the first game. So um that's like the question they have to answer a bit like is it is yeah. it patience or is it uh, is it a lack of of creativity in the in the first first 45 yeah it's funny to me with brazil they seem to be very much like a, a sort of passing team trying to pass the ball through the lines and that kind of thing and you sort of you know I, i'm saying what thinking where, where's the rainbow flicks boys where's the step overs where's the dribbling <laughs> there, 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 through there, no, there, no, and... there are no rainbows allowed in the stadiums that's that's the problem ah uh, <laughs> there we go that explains it <laughs> Keep it black, white, and gray, guys. That's what she was also <laughs> Yeah, Danny mentioned um, mentioned Neymar there, Helgo. Obviously, his uh, his fitness is is a bit of a doubt at the moment. He's got a very swollen ankle. Um, I mean, Brazil have a plethora of attacking options, uh, you know, the envy of the rest of the world, I think, their squad. Is Neymar so crucial to that that he's kind of the main the main player that they, they desperately need to get him back fit, do you think? I think he gives them like the extra spark, like the the extra little bit that uh, maybe some other players can't. Um, as we said, like they, they have like these amazing attackers. Like so, uh, we saw it in this group stage as well. Like they against teams of like uh, these these calibers of the group stage, they they can go through very like you know in a um, pretty relaxed way, as, as we saw. Like you know they are already done with after two games, but like they can. Uh, break these down. Um, I think, I mean, they're very lucky in a sense that the the injury came now and not later on. Because I think in these tight games, he could be the player that um, gives them the extra edge, that um, creates that one situation where suddenly they they score that goal. Um, so, like with him, their chances of winning this tournament, I would say, are higher. But without mm-hmm. him, they're still pretty high. Like they they are still a very yeah. good team without him. But like as I said, like with these like tight games, he could be that that one moment that they need. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they're getting back for their sake. Then uh, Argentina won a, a pretty nervy game two 0 against Mexico on Saturday night. Uh, much to their relief, that they're, they're still still alive in this tournament. Uh, wasn't looking good for them, was it, Danny? Until till Lionel Messi came to the rescue with that uh, what we call in English a daisy cutter of a goal. I think uh, <laughs> don't think it uh, left the ground the whole whole way on its way into the net. Is there a bit of an over-reliance on Messi for Argentina or does any team that has Messi in it rely on him a bit too much because he's Messi? I think the, what was holding back Argentina the most after, well, for the Mexico game was the amount of pressure and sort of like the psychological aspect of it more than the lack of quality. Mexico, I'm still 
waiting to see a decent game out of this team. Like they, the first game was basically, you know, kick and rush. And the second one was just waiting to see what our, our Argentina would do and then react to it. But once Messi scored, you could definitely feel Argentina were like, oh, okay, here we go. And then it just started rolling in. They started having more chances. The changes, substitutions have started having a lot more impact than the players have been come on. So I think there's a very similar story to Germany and Argentina in the sense that they've kind of figured out, okay, now we know what players we actually need in our starting 11. We do have a better understanding of what to do. And they did have, albeit Argentina, they win their game, Germany drew theirs, um, a positive result on which to build upon for the rest of the tournament, I find, um, or whatever that entails. But I do think that obviously having Messi is a great thing. And if you're going to have him, you're going to use him as much as you can. Having said that, I do think they have enough talent in the squad, both on the pitch and in the be- and on the bench, to you know, have a decent cup run, I think. I, I do see this team rallying around a player, albeit, um, but with the talent, enough talent and a, an actual plan and a coach to, um, you know, think a bit ahead of, of just Messi and think of actually winning the third World Cup. So, I don't know. I'm really, really keen on that. I think that's one of the, one of the teams I'm most keen on seeing that them evolve, basically. This, this Argentina that actually now knows they can win tight games, know they can face... Uh, stern rivals, and they're just going to try to push the envelope as much as they can, which is very different to the Argentina we saw four years ago, where they were just literally scraping by uh, and just making it, <laughs> tumbling their way up to quarterfinals somehow, or final 16, I remember, I remember now, but um, yeah, it's a very different vibe what Argentina are giving away this time around, which is great, I find. Yeah, yeah. another team with a with a very deep squad of lots of quality in there, and I think uh, Enzo Fernandez really sort of announced himself to the world in this game as well with a, a very beautiful goal. Um, are you are you a big fan of his, Danny? He came from uh, River Plate to Benfica in the summer, I believe it was. He's done pretty well for Benfica's, scored some nice goals for them. I've, I've seen. Uh, is he is he the uh, the next man for Argentina? Uh, he's, I would say, arguably with that goal, he kind of did announce himself internationally. But he's been doing brilliant things since the Gallardo days in River. Like he was key mm-hmm. for them winning the Libertadores. He was key for them. Achieving a lot of things, Gallardo achieved, or River achieved in Gallardo. Um, now playing in Europe, he kind of has a bit more of that maturity, a bit of understanding, a bit more tech savvy, uh, tactical savvy than he maybe would have been even under Gallardo in Argentina. Um, and I think this is like a confirmation of that. Argentina needed and were kind of lacking a true building midfielder that could, you know, step up the game or, or you know, not just be a player of the quality of Gallardo Paredes, who's decent, but his main skill isn't, you know, build up. His main skill is a different kind of thing. Now they do kind of have that player that has the motivation, is in the right context, in the right place. And he's fit like a glove in a hand, basically, with this with this substitution. And he had a really good showing against Mexico. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts the third game for Argentina, to be quite honest. Yeah. Do you th- is there a lot of clamor in Argentina for him to start, do you think? Oh, the, the River fans, of course. The Boca ones, not so much, but uh, they prefer Paredes. But uh, but still, I think it's going to be an interesting decision what they make. And definitely, I think playing him would be the right one, I think. he's He's been mm. fantastic, I find. What about Lautaro Martinez? Is he, um, are, are people losing a bit of patience with him at the moment, do you think? Um, I think he's kind of like going through a rough season in general. Inter not having the best season either. Mm. He's not having his best season personally. But uh, I do see him as like the go-to player in his position in the national team right now. Like you really, you do have other players that could fulfill that role. But I think he does have that talent and does offer that sort of like off-the-ball edge that other players might not offer. Like I don't see Julian Alvarez dragging as many as much marks or as many men away from the mm-hmm. ball or as away from action as Lautaro could do it. So I think he is 
it's it's a very underrated and very unappreciated work what he's, what he's doing because he is you know opening up space where space usually wouldn't be found, and he just happens to be playing a system where, I mean, he's a striker that works better alone than he does in pairs, and here he does feel like a bit cramped in a little. Um, mm. But having said all that, I think he he's doing a good job, a sacrificed role, albeit, but I, I think he's gonna be he's gonna be important eventually in this tournament. He's he's world class, I find. Yeah. I'm sensing a bit of discontent towards Di Maria as well on online. Yeah. Like I think that's just the the nature of these things. Whenever a team is like not performing, you know, it's full capacity. Everyone's like, "This guy's finished. Get him out. Get rid you, of this you just guy." Pick yeah. up, you just pick out the biggest names. Like that's that's normally what yeah. happens. It's like you just go like, "Okay, like, who do I know?" And then ah, oh, this guy has not been scoring five goals. I'm mad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, he was sensational in the Copa America, so I think the expectations, like the bar, was set really high for Di Maria. Because of that and the qualifiers, he'd been performing really, really well. Point being that, you know, Messi kind of wanted him like undisputed in the starting 11. He's been given that, not really performing up to par. I think the fact that his uh, season with, with UE hasn't really been decent either. A um, couple injuries there, here and there. So I think, you know, he's sort of like a work in progress uh, project for this very, very short World Cup of his. Mm. I don't know yet, but you know, yeah. he's still a decent shot, I find. Yeah, I think it's only Messi that's above criticism at this point, isn't it? Everyone yeah. else is a... Uh, yeah, maybe Divo as well. Divo Martinez maybe as well. <laughs> but he's just charismatic oh, yeah. as fuck, so you know you can't take that away from him. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've, uh, we've got a question here from David Aslan about France. Uh, remember, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, um, and we welcome your questions, we've got a, got a few more to get through later on in the show as well. Uh, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, so David asks, have you watched the France game? It just feels like by having Mbappe, France start the game 1-0 up. He's in the kind of form that almost doesn't matter if the, oppo- uh, the opponent they play against, Mbappe will score. He's even scoring headers uh, and getting on the end of crosses for fuck's sake. Uh, my question is, are France the new favourites for the World Cup with Brazil missing Neymar and other teams not looking as strong? And will we see Mbappe beat Miroslav Klose's World Cup record within our lifetime? Helga, what do you reckon uh, are France favourites and is Mbappe the new closer? Well, the, the new favourites is a bit is a bit surprising yeah. because they, they they entered this World Cup as the favourites. Uh, yeah. Like except like oh like the World Cup winners curse like the, the like were they like the winners of the past tournaments like dropped out like flies in the group stages in the recent tournaments. But otherwise, like like from in, like player quality, they they have been like together with like Brazil and uh, probably Argentina like the the clear favourites to win this thing. Like, maybe Spain. Um. But so yes, France <laughs> might actually end up winning this World Cup. No, but otherwise, um, shocker! <laughs> you heard it first. No, but, I'm on football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they might do it again. Um, no, but like um, like Mbappe, like kind of reminds me of this when you like these older FIFA games where like everything was about pace and you could just like give like a player the ball and just like. They go past that <laughs> that defense, like they can just like okay, ciao, like you'll never catch me again. So this is kind of like Mbappe in real life. Like he has that speed that like like where it's like almost impossible to catch catch up to him. So like definitely he's a difference maker there for the team. Uh, closes record. Uh, like the thing is like with the, like obviously Mbappe is super young and he he was uh, lucky also in the sense that he had uh, a pretty young age. For playing his first World Cup, you know, like mm. like some players like start when they are like I don't know twenty one, like because like when they were seventeen, yeah. like they weren't old enough, or whatever. Um, so like he he played his first World Cup really young. On the other hand, we can see 
how quick it goes with like like Benzema now missing this World Cup with an injury, uh, or Mane. Like if that happens to Mbappe once or twice in his career, he might not break it. Like that's the that's the problem about like this this uh, or like. I think it's nice, but like for players, like the problem is like, you know, like you have only have this tournament every four years. So if you miss mm. it once, then like his next chance, like he would be uh, almost 30 to play. So uh, then the question remains like with this strong France team and also like the, all the talents that are coming, um, like if he stays injury free, obviously he, he might as well do it, but um, well, it's very likely that he does it probably because he might play a lot of them of the tournaments, but uh, yeah, like, um, it's very hard to predict these things because, like, we've seen it, like with uh, like Owen, for example, way in the past. Like, if you have some injuries that take away your speed or like your biggest strength, like you might you might not continue on the level. So, like, making these predictions for the next ten years is, is impossible in football. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mbappe's got seven goals. Uh, What's the closest record? Nine? Uh, sorry, sixteen goals, wasn't it? Sixteen goals. Yeah. Yeah, so it's possible. I, I mean, I guess if we uh, if we do ever find ourselves in a situation where we're having a World Cup every two years, they'll have to kind of oh, like yeah. asterisk, <laughs> yeah. asterisk some of these records a bit, won't they? They'll have to say like closer holds the record for the quadrennial World Cup yeah. and then the biennial work. World Cup would have to be a whole different thing, yeah. Or they, yeah, they have to average it per game or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of many reasons why we shouldn't have a World Cup every two years, I would oh, say. Oh, God, yeah. no. It's, it's, oh, no, I'm not... If that's the case, I think that's just destroying the magic of it. Like you wait four years for this, you bring in here two years, it's going to be a nightmare then to like mix the Copa America, the Euros, everything in at the same time. On top of yeah, that, also, you're stuck with the World Cup every two years. How exhausting is that? As a never mind a player, as a spectator, like that's. I would like. I would also just, just like, say imagine like, all the prep work, guys. <laughs> I would also just say like if you if you want to have more World Cup games or like more like you want to obviously like FIFA wants to do it like you know for more money. Uh, it's not because like oh like you know like the beauty of the game. Just develop women's football. Like the, yeah. the, the male players are like are done. Like they cannot play any more games. Like they, that's true. The quality is going to drop off. If you want to make more money, like invest into women's football, make it the biggest, uh, like the an equal uh, sport, like the biggest it can be, mm. uh, like an equal level as as the male football in terms of marketing, in terms of everything. Like we've seen, like uh, like the Euro final last um, last summer, like the between uh, Germany and England, like eighteen million people watched it in Germany. It was like the male national team so far, like hasn't you know broken this uh, this barrier in this World Cup. Like it was. Like people are interested if you present it right. So like if you need the money, yeah. Like if you want to press more money out of football, start developing the women's game, like on a marketing level. Yeah, there you go. Hundred percent. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hel- Helga solves it all. Solve the football. <laughs> solve the football crisis. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure they won't listen to you though. But that's no. uh, that's their problem, isn't it? I guess. <laughs> yeah. I can only offer. I can only offer. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> That's a them problem, yeah. Yeah, I, I can only open the door. Like They, they have to go through themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Portugal now. Um, they, uh, they've been, been pretty good so far, I think. Uh, quietly impressive, you might say. Or, or has it been a bit of a surprise for you, Danny? Or is it more surprising when Portugal kind of underwhelmed, given all the, all the talent at their disposal? I mean, you see, like on paper they're one of the better teams. No, no question about it. Like mm. every position has a really good player there. They're still playing, by the way, Pepe, 39 years old. 
Fantastic. I think that adds a lot of charm and color to this team that, you know, you have the football's biggest bully still active there at the last World Cup, nearing 40, which is fantastic. Um, But then you see them playing. It's sort of that very slow-burning brand of football that they've been playing for for a while, but it's kind of given them results, hasn't it? Like, they did win a Euro under the sort of, like, scheme, even though they had Ronaldo and everything. It ended up being fucking Eder who won the thing. Um, And I don't know. I kind of have that vibe that, that slowly you're getting into shape here, and I wouldn't rule out them becoming one of that sort of like outsider candidates of, you know, shocking one of the big ones into a spot in the semifinal, for instance. I think Portugal do have um, a lot going on for them. And if the players that you do see that are available for Portugal perform, why wouldn't this team be be up for contention? It's it's a really impressive squad when you look at it, like position by position. It's pretty decent. Yeah. Can they win it for you, Helga, do you think? Portugal? Uh one of the, like this would have been a good example of <laughs> like maybe one of the teams where it's like Germany would like be in a quarterfinal against and like they would uh then still hope to make it through you know like tough opponent but like um like like Portugal like, to me is like on a level like like Germany in terms of uh how likely it is that they win the the whole thing like where it's like uh like quarterfinals would surprise no one and from there, it is really anybody's ballgame. Like, they, like mm. it's just one game that you need to win. Like maybe against a uh, like a better opponent, or like a favorite that plays against. Like so, yeah. Like uh, to me, if they like get it uh, to the to the quarterfinals, then from there on, it's it's a very open race. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo tried to try to claim a goal in that uh, <laughs> win over Uruguay the other day. Uh, Adidas proved, uh, some might say inconclusively or conclusively, I don't know, that it wasn't his goal. So Bruno Fernandes, for those who didn't see it, sort of whipped across in. Ronaldo looked to have glanced the header past the goalkeeper, claimed the goal. The goal was given to Bruno Fernandes because it, what, they couldn't tell in real time if Ronaldo had touched it or not. And then Adidas, who were providing the official match ball of the World Cup, uh, these balls all have sensors inside them, uh, you know, to deal with the, uh, the the automated offsides. Um, they were able to determine that Ronaldo didn't touch the ball. It didn't sort of cause a, I don't know, ripple on the the graph uh, when when he was supposed to have touched it. So, you know, some people might say it was an a uh, it was Adidas uh, doing dirty on a uh, a Nike athlete. I don't know if there was any anything like that going on. But uh, Wembley yeah. Wembley levels of scandal. This is yeah. what, what's going on. I mean, if if um, if Ronaldo didn't touch it, is it a bit? weird for him to then try and claim the goal do you think Helga or if you were in that situation would you claim the goal well like maybe it just touched his hair and he felt like, like maybe there was like no impact on the ball yeah. but it just like he felt it something but in the end it's like, like this is like the, these fun if it touches stories. your hair it's your goal isn't it it's your I, hair I, I, so. I don't know like, like isn't like, I don't know <laughs> either way like, it's, like this is a weird conversation to have like in the end yeah. like, like who cares that much? But like Ronaldo <laughs> does, obviously. But uh, like he was complaining after the game still. Um, but on the other hand, like, like this is like one of these fun stories that the World Cup delivers that people will have forgotten in like a couple of months. Yeah. But like we just now talk about it all the time, which is because it's just because it's a funny, funny scandal, <laughs> like what whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, like in the end, like, like also like Ronaldo, I think. Uh, he was also seen after the game, like hugging Bruno Fernandes and like being really happy for him and like with him. Um, I think it's like the mix of him, like because people always claim, oh, he's not a team player. I think like with his teammates, like you always hear different stuff. Like you always hear like the opposite that he's like a very 
like like great player to play with and then like a like a colleague that you really can have a good time with or like as a as a role model as well mm. and then also like it shows that he loves to score goals more than anything in the world and that he wants that goal on his tally and like it's just like it shows him as like a player maybe that he's like one thing with his teammates but like also like the perception is then only like the the one that's sticking is like him just wanting that goal so bad and like yeah, <laughs> yeah. The weird thing for me is that like <laughs> Portugal went through the trouble apparently and wants to prove to FIFA now that it's his goal and not yeah. like, like that poor guy. Like, like it's like, like why, why, why can't he just have that goal? Like, why is yeah, it so yeah. important for them? Oh man, I know Ronaldo's got like 118 international goals in his career. I think he can do without this one, can't he? Yeah, it'll be so. fine. You know. <laughs> I saw one person on Twitter saying, uh, well, the fact that he, whether he touched it or not, the fact that he jumped up kind of put the goalkeeper off, so he should get the assist for that at least. I'm I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. (laughs) You you have to touch the ball to assist it. You you can't just assist it with vibes. And also if you're the last one to to be on the ball, then it's not like, then it's the goal. It's a live assist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's oh, let's, let's just like change rules again and again in football. Like it's, it's it's fun. Like we've we've seen it the last years. It's always helped if we change rules. Yeah, keep us guessing. Mm. Keep us guessing what the rule is. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, one team who uh, who are desperate for any kind of goal at the moment, no matter who scores it. I think is Uruguay. Danny, uh, yeah. they've underwhelmed a little bit at this World Cup after a few people saw them as potential dark horses. I think was uh, that was the talk. Why do you think they've not really hit the heights yet? Well, there's. I think the main factor would be that there's a lot of turmoil from within for the first time in, in ages. You know, Tavares is not the coach anymore. Uh, the new trainer is, you know, still kind of – he is delivering because he did qualify them to the World Cup, but he doesn't have that sort of, you know, stamp of approval or that stamp of authority that a team with players like Galani – like Suarez, like, you know, proper veterans have been around to win everything Uruguay has won recently um, and are kind of like the leaders of the team, actually, at this, in, in practice. Uh, he hasn't quite earned that sort of, like, respect. So, for instance, you do have this question they had, they, uh, they asked Edinson Cavani after the, after the match against Portugal uh, about what is not clicking in Uruguay. And he just says, oh, no, ask the coach cause, because definitely <laughs> we're not going out to win these games, are we? So you can definitely tell there's, like, a vibe inside where the team is still kind of getting used to this new – um, well, yeah, way of working and this way of understanding the game. Uh, but uh, having said that, I do think they have the talent, they do have the squad. It just hasn't quite clicked because of themselves more than anything. It's kind of been sort of like a self-sabotage uh, case uh, in this World Cup, unfortunately, for Uruguay. I was definitely expecting a lot more from them in this World Cup. I wouldn't say they've necessarily been bad, but there are a lot of calls that, you know, a lot of positions, arguably, that I do understand the players. Like, for instance... Not bringing in the Arrascaeta a lot earlier. He's the sort of player you needed against Portugal that can build play, that can open up space a little bit to find Darwin Nunez, to find Ben Suarez when he was playing Cavani, etc. Uh, and Pelletti has been great. Like he had, a, I found a decent first game. Begs him in the second match, no real understanding. Then, then he comes in. He was sort of like the life of the party as soon as he starts, he starts playing with the ball. You do see why he, he's being criticized. Having said that, I think it's been an underwhelming performance everywhere. It's a transition national team, which. The fact that they're the third best win in South America is worrisome for South America, but very positive for Uruguay, I would say. Um, but I don't know. I think next qualifying cycle will be, I hope, would be a lot more decent, a lot more stable, even though they won't have the likes of, you know, Suarez, of Cavani probably for for the better part of the qualifiers. So, mm. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a time of reckoning. It's a moment of reckoning for, for Uruguay more than anything. 
Yeah, and it's, uh, they've got a do-or-die game against Ghana coming up now, which should be uh, quite an interesting one. Yeah, and they have no beef between them, do they? No. <laughs> That'll be yeah, beautiful. That's a, gr- a, a grudge match, isn't it? Yeah, of course. A beautiful one, too. <laughs> Swad is probably going to start it. Uh, I hope he comes out with like a glove or something. That would be amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, it'll be fun. Get Asamoah Jan out of retirement to, <laughs> to finally... Yeah, yeah get his, his vendetta back. <laughs> Right, the last team we're going to talk about today is Belgium. Uh, there's some reports of uh, of a rift in the camp. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne did an interview with the Guardian uh, at the weekend, which I think was from before the tournament. But they, they asked him uh, whether whether Belgium could win the World Cup, and he basically said, "No, we're too old." I think he was joking, but um, you know the performances have uh, have made that joke land quite badly in the Belgium camp, by all accounts. Uh, Jan Vertonghen particularly unhappy with it. Apparently, uh, can you be a little bit too honest? Do you think, Helga? Is that the lesson from this? <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's what players complain about all the time is that they, their comments are being taken out of context. Or like, uh, if you are joking, like on a written interview, for example, like it doesn't show. Or like if people take it from a from a video and then write it down, like it doesn't show. Um, I mean, overall, that team, I think, like also like the coach has admitted it, like there, there's enough tension there as it is. So maybe that joke was advice like if you if you know this before the tournament already like because it doesn't all, all spark from this from this comment um in the end he's not wrong also like with that joke like they they <laughs> not that they can't produce any good performances anymore but it's like this team is definitely past their prime like it, it doesn't yeah. have to be like a thing that you can't win a tournament anymore like like i don't know like kind of like comparing it to Chelsea in 2012 maybe where it's like that team was not in its prime it was still very good and like the experience also like led it then to a Champions League victory um so like it doesn't necessarily mean you can't can make it but like this Belgian team like if you look at it like there's so many players that um like Fatongan and Alderweireld in the defense like they're not in, in their prime definitely anymore um we've got Witzel who's been struggling since his uh, since his torn Achilles heel uh, Achilles tendon, sorry. Um, and uh, you have Eden Hazard, who has not been producing anything in the last couple of years of uh, like like um, in terms of great games. So, like De Bruyne is definitely still on, on a great level, like for for Man City. But it's yeah, like it shows in this team, Lukaku not being really fit, and um, yeah, like he's like not to say that Lukaku's past his prime, but like not being like it's not like mm-hmm. the the moment for this team to to probably be challenging for it. And when De Bruyne said like they had their chance four years ago, like I think that is mm-hmm. maybe like like a very accurate assessment. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it is a fair fair thing to say. But uh, yeah, Vatonga was sort of asked about uh, after the the game the other day against Morocco, like why why. Did it go so wrong? And he was like, oh, I guess it's because we're too old. Uh, I think he was being a bit sarcastic there, but yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's also not wrong. <laughs> the attack is also not, like the midfield and attack is also not young. Like, they have a lot of young players, yeah, definitely, yeah. but maybe they need to build like a new generation. Like for this starting 11, at least, it might be, might be yeah, past their time. Yeah. Yeah, just have one more one more question about the games in recent days. Danny was uh, was about the uh, that incredible uh, Serbia Cameroon three uh, three draw the other day, particularly Vincent uh, Abu Bakar's goal in that game. Was that the uh, the coolest goal of the World Cup so far? Do you think? Yeah, I think that's been so so. It was fucking cool, wasn't it? Like, just <laughs> take it, take it for what it is. I, I mean, think 
maybe not the most technical goal or whatever you will, but it definitely had that sort of like cool factor to it that would definitely put it as, as a main contender, a strong contender um, to win that sort of like, you know, prestigious best goal of the tournament sort of uh, yeah. an, an official award. Well, even official because they do give an award for that nowadays, don't they? Um, do they? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I mean, they do that for the best girl of the year. For, I'm not like, sure. Didn't, didn't Hamas win that like in 2014? Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, he did win that. He he was it was chosen, like his, his but I'm not sure if that. Guy. Yeah, which is yeah, fucking screamer. But um, <laughs> but yeah, this this goal was this was just you know nice. It was perfect. Yeah. I was like, I like, wish I could have done that. I saw it I was like, oh yeah, that must feel like amazing it. to be able to do that and pull it <laughs> off and you know get it done. <laughs> like I mean, it's like maybe Richardson could be up in contention, like with his uh, mm. like like the bicycle kick that he did. Um, that was in the first game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, maybe that would be up there on a skill level or whatsoever. But, like, as, as Danny said, like, the Abubakar, like, just being, like, he's, he realizes he's way too slow. So, he lets him, like, just slide into nothingness and then looks at this, like, <laughs> two meter, two, like, gigantic goalkeeper and just, like, instead of just, like, putting it, like, just, like, no, I'm going over. Like, I don't care. Like, and it's, like, like, yeah, like, putting it over the goalkeeper there, like, yeah, it's it's just well, yeah. I wonder if classic. he thought he was going to be offside, and that was why he sort of did it so nonchalantly. Like, he just thought, <laughs> oh, it's not going to count anyway. And it's a great example of you know people complain about the 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 officials keeping the flags down and letting play continue when it looks like it's offside. That was one where it kind of looked offside in real time, and they played on, and it wasn't offside. So yeah, yeah it's really important. Uh, I think like it, it might be a good win for VAR. I... <laughs> 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 yeah, it might be annoying at some point, like when there's a player like making like a four meter sprint, a forty meter sprint, and it goes like, "Oh, why didn't you show?" But then like the complaints are even worse if they like like whistle, and then there's a goal afterwards. They should have stood, and then it's like, "Oh, but they didn't wait until the yeah. ball was." Yeah, yeah. So it's like <laughs> can't please any everybody apparently. <laughs> All right, uh, let's wrap up with a question today from Pedro Bahia. Remember, the email address for questions is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, Pedro asks, how do you think the next World Cup will be uh, different with 48 national teams? How will they do it? How will they do it, Danny? I mean, it's going to be worse, I think, is probably my, will be my quality, instinct to say how different it's yeah, going to be. Yeah. I think the, the quality is going to, going to drop. Already kind of seeing it now, even with 32 teams. Um mm. The amount of, of, of nil-nils this World Cup has been, you know, abysmal. The level of all games has been... You've, you have decent games, I'm not going to lie. But many of them did feel kind of almost like feel, like filler games at one point. With 48 teams, <laughs> you're going to get that a lot more. Also, we already have, at the worst point of the tournament, or best, depending on who you're asking, four games in one day. 48 teams is, what, 16 more? So 50% more? So we're going to do eight games, like seven games in a, games in a day, six to eight games in a day, or play the thing for two months. It, it just feels no, I, <clears throat> logistically feels complicated. I just looked it up because I wasn't sure how they, how they were going to like put the format. So apparently, it's only sixteen games more. Because so they're going to play like a group stage with three teams and only two games then, and then right. they're going to do a best of thirty-two round. So like they go right into the mm-hmm. knockout stages after these two games. Uh, and so overall, every team will still play. If you if you go to the final, you will still only play seven games. But they have like on on like like a couple okay. of games more because of the like they go to the best of thirty two instead of best of sixteen. Uh, that doesn't sound too bad, actually. It <laughs> doesn't. Yeah, but, uh, but but on the, the other the, hand, the, if you think the about the group phase. stage, yeah, if yeah. you think about the group stage, where it's like you have only two games and you might go through because like the best two out of three go through. So if you tie mm-hmm. twice. 
and you just hope that one of the other two wins that like that other game, you're gonna go through. So these games are gonna be yeah. defensive as hell. Like just like my first yeah. idea would be like nobody yeah. wants to lose because if you lose, you're as good as out. Um, mm. And if you can tie twice as like a underdog team, you might make it through. So like this is gonna be. It might, it might lead also, to a very bad group stage. And also, like, it is possible for a group made up by Paraguay, Slovakia, and fucking Solomon Islands to exist, if you think about it, with all the available uh, spots open now. South America has, <laughs> I think, what, seven uh, out of ten can qualify? Proof Africa- of death, that one, isn't it? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to die to sleep or uh, boredom? Like, which one is it? <laughs> yeah. But that's the whole point. Like, fair enough. I get this is opening up the game to everybody. But the the purpose behind a World Cup in the end is to basically see the best of the best. 32 at some points does feel like there's always one or two teams that are already kind of uh, under par. We've definitely seen that this World Cup with Qatar. I find like, you know, teams that, fine, they did play better in the in the Asian World Cup, in the Asian Cup. But, you know, um, and hosting obviously was a factor for them and and, and, the, and the pressure and all that. But I, I don't know. You do, you do see teams that you're saying like, yeah, no. The Costa Rica that is, you know, built up by basically the same block from eight years ago is a tad too slow for the World Cup, I find. So now expand that an extra 16 teams. You go a bit deeper in the list. It's not Costa Rica's qualifying or Honduras. It's maybe El Salvador, Jamaica teams that don't necessarily have, you know, uh, a team strong enough to be entertaining to outside crowds, basically. Because in the end, Mm -hmm. this is one of the nice parts of the experiences of the World Cup is that you get to see national teams you would normally not see play. Like I find that with Senegal, for instance, really interesting, even though, you know, try to keep tabs on the players in Europe and all that, seeing them as a team play for a whole tournament is quite interesting as, as a, as a spectator. So yeah. Am I that keen on seeing the seventh best of South America face the ninth best of Africa and maybe Europe's 16th? Nah, I'm not necessarily excited about <laughs> that. And I don't think many people will be. So I think that's like the biggest hurdle. The quality of, of the game will be, for what Helga's saying on one side, it's very, you know, inviting to be cagey with a two-game format uh, and also to play cagey football. And also that you won't arguably have the better teams playing games that really shouldn't be existing, if you think of it. Mm. But yeah. Football isn't about entertainment, though, is it? It's about money. It's about the gravy train, <laughs> keeping that gravy train rolling down those tracks. But, also, like imagine, but also imagine for a team, like if you are going to that group stage and then you like, you... Get your training camp ready. You like book the hotels, like because you mm. basically need to like if you are like a team, like you need to book them like for maybe like at least the quarterfinals, like because like you need to stay there if you stay yeah. in the tournament. Like, but so you book your flights, you book your hotel, training camp, like all that, all that stuff, and then you go there, and then you just lose two games, and you're two just games, like, you okay, know. fine, yeah. that's been fun. <laughs> I've been here for for a week, and now we're just gonna go. Like, because this like with the current format, like you stay at least like for like how long is like the group phase? Like like one and a half, two weeks. What is it? Yeah, at least stay for a little yeah. while. But if you if you're like legit like dropping out in that group stage, you're just there for like <laughs> two games, maybe a week, and then it's like, yeah, okay. Thanks for just, playing. Yeah, fuck off. It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does feel like that a little bit. Oh well. We'll worry about that in four years' time, shall we? Let's cross that bridge when we get there, yeah. <laughs> for now, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you to Helga and Danny for joining me. Thank you to everyone for listening and for sending in questions. Keep those coming. Uh, we did have a couple more that we weren't able to get to on today's show, unfortunately, but we'll uh, we'll try and squeeze them into a future episode. Uh, we'll be back again in uh, a few days. I'm not going to commit to when because I don't know yet, but uh, yeah, stay tuned and uh, we'll catch you soon.